Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. My name is Chris Rawl. I wrote a newsletter this week about Rudy Gobert being traded from the Utah Jazz to the Minnesota Timberwolves and the gamble that Minnesota is taking on a twin power approach in present day NBA that does not really value centers in any way, shape or form. So if you want to read that, you can go and look at it at chrisrawl.com. If you have not yet signed up for that newsletter, it's free. It comes out every Wednesday. You need to do it. Go to chrisrawl.com, hit the subscribe button and put your email address in. Please. Thank you. Let us move on to today's show where I talk about dissatisfaction and the gap between what you have and what you want. I pay attention to virtually nothing that goes on in the world except for sports. Sports, I pay very close attention, as you know, because you listen to this show and I'm nerdy as hell about sports. I follow it day in, day out, and I read weird things, and I listen to weird things, and I do that over and over, and I've done that my whole life. Now, it's kind of strange because in literally every other area, I don't pay attention to anything. Politics, world news, social media, all that kind of stuff. That exists out there. It doesn't really seem that appealing to me. And one of the reasons that that has never really appealed to me is because I think threaded into those areas. Uh, There's a lot of... Anger and dissatisfaction, those are the two things that have stood out any time I pay attention and even just a little sliver to those worlds. And it seems like that is really amplified as my life has gone on. You know, this kind of perpetual dissatisfaction of present day humanity. It seems like it's really just building and building and building with no end in sight. Um, And that's going on out there. And I think the sports world has kind of existed independently in some ways in the past. And now it's kind of starting to mirror what is happening in other realms, which has been interesting to note and just always makes me start thinking because one of the reasons that I pay attention to what other people are doing and saying and how they're acting is not because I want to be the the torch mob on Twitter and say, you're wrong and you're an idiot and and I hate this. It's because I, I like to see other people doing things and think of, hmm, what can I learn from that for myself? You know, a lot of life is personal experience and some of it is I can learn through other people's actions and words, right? So one of the things that I've been thinking about lately through that particular prism is decision-making in general, you know? Um, And especially if you want to make a decision, then you need to be content with that decision. That's a really simple idea, right? But I think it gets lost in the shuffle a lot of times, especially with current people in the world of sports who are, you know, right at the forefront of their sports. Um, And so that's where you start, you know? You're going to make a big decision. You got to be content with that decision. That's a pretty simple principle in life. And then if you want something different, if you find out that decision's not for you, then you need to find a way to change, right? Again, very simple things, things that I try to apply within my own life and things that I see kind of uh, maybe pushed to the side in the way that some other people are uh, choosing to live their lives. What's weird about the world of sports, and this is also informed by my past job in the world of high-end business and high-end tech, is that it, it kind of seems like the more fame and power and money you obtain, the more dissatisfied most people become, which is very strange because I think those of us who are not that always look at uh, money or power or fame and go, that'd be cool to have. That seems appealing. 
And the longer life has gone on, I go, I don't know if that seems as cool as I once thought, just because it seems like it alters people irrevocably. And the things that you think that you wanted that are going to uh, give you this life that is just going to be sweet and rad and you're going to be permanently happy, it doesn't really ever work like that. Now, part of this, uh, this decision-making process, and especially this applies to people who are in the public eye, uh, you know, these high-level athletes and other people. The coolest thing that you can say when you're making a decision is uh, something that is true for virtually nobody on earth. And it's what almost everybody says. It just, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I don't give a shit. You know, it doesn't matter. Got thick skin and this is my decision and I don't care. And it's almost never true. I've met almost nobody who that is true about because deep down, that's just kind of a thing that exists within humans. Like, eh. I don't want people to think bad things about me. I would rather they think good things about me. How, do, how can I change that? And sometimes you can and sometimes you can't, especially in if you are a very famous person, it's going to be almost impossible to change public perception about you because there's so many people that factor into that equation. And if you think about the present day state of humanity and that perpetual dissatisfaction, you're going to understand no matter what decision is made, There's going to be a lot of people who will find fault in it in some way, shape, or form. That is the way that society is currently structured. So the first person that I want to talk about is the person who I've really been thinking about, again, within this prism. Kevin Durant um, just recently has said, I want out of Brooklyn. And to trace the last almost decade of his career is kind of a pretty incredible journey, especially through the lens of public perception. Because it's crazy to look back at early, early-ish Durant. Not the earliest version of him, but post-2012 finals when they lost to Miami LeBron. It's crazy, I mean insane, to look back on that stretch from there to when he wins the MVP in the 2014 season. During that time frame, he signs an extension with Oklahoma City. He gives that famous MVP speech about his mom, which was, you know, just really powerful and talking about single parent and just we were poor as hell and I never thought this and you were the one who drove me to be what I am was really I mean really cool speech and it was seen as like oh this is this is refreshing this is wholesome this is somebody who's beloved by pretty much everybody in the NBA and from a public facing uh, point of view especially after he signed that extension with OKC small market team you know, a superstar, he's on his rookie contract, got these other superstars around him. This team looks like they're set up, but you're never really sure until they sign. He goes, you know, I want to be here. I want to stay. I want to win a championship with this small market. And it was talked about at the time as just, this is, this is everything that is right with the NBA versus LeBron, who at the time was kind of the villain of the NBA, viewed as this is everything wrong with the NBA. LeBron, he was drafted by his hometown team. He should have led him to a championship, but then he bolted and he had the decision and he went to Miami and he joined up and they were the evil villains. And then they won multiple championships and they beat OKC, but now that's going to make them stronger. And look at Kevin Durant. He didn't leave his small market team and he, it wasn't even his hometown, but he stayed put and now he's going to win a championship with them. It's the, it's the humble superstar versus the ring chaser who abandoned his hometown. That's kind of how it was portrayed at the time by virtually everybody. That's the way the media portrayed it, that's what pretty much every fan thought. I got in a lot of arguments because, you know, I'm a ride-or-die LeBron person. And I would always push back and go, okay, Durant's sweet and, and good on him, cool. I, I don't really care about where he's playing. The LeBron thing always rankled me deeply. 
because especially his move to Miami was just met with so much fury and everybody was so mad. And I go, let's pump the brakes on this. This is, this is strange that this is the way people are reacting to a decision. I think almost everybody would make, and they go, no way. Jordan stayed with the bulls and magic stayed with the Lakers and Larry bird stayed with the Celtics. And I go, well, no shit. These people were drafted by teams and put in positions immediately to be successful. And they were surrounded with hall of famers left and right and hall of fame coaches and great front office structures who continually were making them better and better. Why would you leave a situation like that? That is, it makes no sense. And meanwhile, LeBron was drafted by the Cavs. And to their credit, I think they were trying to win, which is why they sold out every asset to do so. They were just very bad at building a team. And so they were trading for Mo Williams and let's give him Daniel Marshall and Zydrunas Ilgoskis and Booby Gibson. And let's trade for Shaq when he's 8,000 pounds and 100 years old. And let's trade for... Ben Wallace, when he's on death's door, is just all of these transactions that made no sense and shipped out first rounders and sunk cap money into these players that were not very good. And LeBron paper mache that during the regular season. They'd win 60 games and then they'd go and biff in the playoffs because you can't win with one player in the playoffs. That's just what we know. So LeBron ended up going, ah, you know what sounds better than this is going and playing with people who are good and maybe I can win a championship. And indeed, you know, people met that with Gary. I mean, people were incensed that he wanted to go to Miami and team up with Bosch and Wade is everybody was so mad and I found it weird, but I I'm a huge LeBron guy, but I found it weird from the perspective of like, wouldn't you do something similar if you were in that position? <laughs> I don't really get the idea that you would have stayed in a shit situation that had no way of getting better versus going to a really good situation that indeed once LeBron started winning and everybody watched it and said, Oh, I get this. And yeah, it probably was maybe a little unfair to expect and want him to stay on this Cleveland team that really didn't have a chance of winning a championship. I think people's minds start to open up and LeBron turned from the villain of the NBA in 2011 to, you know, five years later, especially when he's winning that championship with Cleveland and on the reunion tour, I think the vast majority of the NBA uh, fandom was like, well, I actually respect Le LeBron and like him in some way, shape or form. So I bring up the summer of 2016 because it's an incredible, uh, just, turning point it's probably a good way of putting it for this Durant narrative because LeBron has gone back he beats the 73 win Golden State it's the crowning achievement of his career it's the defining moment of his career it's one of the most notable things that's ever happened in the history of the NBA and that Golden State team loses and in the Western Conference Finals they played the Oklahoma City Thunder who were up 3-1 in that series fast they were athletic they looked right on the door of just gonna win a championship this year you know, Westbrook and Durant were just at the peak of their powers athletically. They were giving Golden State fits. And then they lose game five. They lose the famous game six when Clay goes off in a game that looked like Oklahoma City was going to win until they didn't. And they lose game seven. Durant struggles some during that. Um, Oklahoma City newspapers, if you remember the controversy at the time, they're writing all these headlines about how he hasn't been clutch and he's not been good enough. And, and part of that was true and part of that was unfair. I was, they were just playing a really good team and they lost three straight games. And one of those was very unfortunate and featured probably the most transcendent shooting performance in a high leverage game that I've ever watched. And yet that's the moment where things change for everybody involved because Durant decides I want to go and play for Golden State. And it made the NBA boring as hell because he's one of the best players in the NBA. He joined the best team in the NBA, a team that won a championship before he was there, a team that has now won a championship after he was there. Um, there's, it's really easy to understand why most fans watched that and did not enjoy his decision. 
just the vitriol that came from the LeBron decision, it was that, but even more because of the team that was being joined. It was the already established champions. They just won 73 games, all that kind of stuff. At the same time, it was, I didn't want it to happen. Again, it made the NBA boring. I don't think it was in the best interest of people who just wanted to watch basketball. At the same time, I understood the move from his perspective. And I would point out that, okay, yeah, everybody's always screaming about winning and who cares about winning and do everything it takes to win. And if you're being fair, you know, that's what Durant's move to Golden State was about. (laughs) Just, I want to win. And this is the move that will ensure that happens. And it did. I mean, they won two championships and would have won a third if his Achilles hadn't been torn and Clay Thompson's knee hadn't been blown out against Toronto. But it still rankles fans because it's a little bit illogical, but most believe, even if they don't really verbalize it, it's that, yes, I want everybody to win and I want you to care about winning, but also like in kind of ways that seem fair and ways that line up with just the traditional paths to winning. Larry Bird, you get drafted by your team and then you go and win with that team. Seems stranger and for whatever reason, again, most of the reason is not logical. Most fans are like, I, I don't like, I don't like this idea that you went to a different team, especially a team that was already winning and had won and wins after you're gone and joins up with that. So you got to understand that going in, you know, LeBron didn't understand it with the decision. He's talked about that. He's just like, I wasn't, I didn't expect this to be like the entire country banding behind this hatred of this particular move and everybody booing the heat everywhere they went for that first season. And Durant did not necessarily learn from LeBron's decision because somehow a a move that was probably even more controversial because it was just locking down the NBA championship in a way that everybody's like, well, this isn't fun. He also wasn't prepared for that backlash. And especially this just unrelenting willingness by the general public to be like, oh, that's cool that you won a championship there. Nobody thought that. Again, team that won before and after him. Just he's a redundancy on a roster, which is weird because Durant's one of the best basketball players we've ever watched. And part of that just mindset and why I think people despise Durant's moves so much is because OKC was just right on the door. Again, remember that Western Conference Finals, they're knocking right there. And even though they end up losing and it was just just heartbreak for that franchise, it also seemed like it could be the final baptism by fire moment for a team that's on the verge of the championship. You know, all those moments that I'm talking about that you need to have over the course of time that harden you and prepare you to win. Seemed like that could have definitely been it. Going into 2017, if he's still there, I, I would have probably put them right at the very top of the heap as far as who do I think is going to win. It's going to be them in Golden State. So the ensuing, you know, five plus years now, it's been a really incredible change in public perception of Durant. You know, think of the guy who signed the contract extension with OKC, who won the MVP, who gave the speech. And now we've seen the guy who's Combative with everybody in the media, seems very surly. He's arguing with Draymond on the court in just a fissure that turned into the fracture that completely obliterated that iteration of Golden State. The social media behavior, I mean, just it's it's been astounding, you know. This guy who has untold riches, untold fame, untold power within his sport, he's just sitting and arguing in the comments section and DMing people that he doesn't even know about, you know, just how mad he is about this random thing that they said online. Very just, it screams of, I'm not very happy and I'm not 
really content within any of these decisions that I, I've made or will be making moving forward. That's what it screams to me. And I've had that conversation in the past with people. I have a lot of friends who are NBA fans. It's their favorite sport. And, and you know, some of them have vocalized when Durant comes up like, man, this guy, you know, he's, he seems so fascinating. Look at all these weird things he's doing. What's going on with him? And I would always go like, I don't, I don't think it's that fascinating. You know, I don't think you really have to read between the lines much. It just seems like not very happy or content with what's going on in his life. He seems very uncomfortable in his own skin and especially his ability to make a decision that he feels like is in his best interest. So then he goes to Brooklyn. We, I mean, we know that story, you know, he, he's going to my team. He's going on my terms. I'm going to go and create this thing out of nothing. Bring all these superstars with me. And now people will finally acknowledge that this is my championship and the Golden State stuff. Okay, we'll get over that. And, and instead, over the three years, we have a super team that will go down as the most disappointing super team ever in the history of this league. And he surrounded himself with all the people who mirror that particular uh, dissatisfaction mindset. You know, the Hardens, the Kyries, the Ben Simmons. Because there's a lot of that within the NBA, and it's symbolized perfectly by all the people who've been involved with the Nets over the last year. Just these people who go to situation after situation, and no matter what, they're like, this sucks, and it's shit, and I want to be somewhere else. And you know what happens? When I get there, I'm going to be way happy, and we're going to win, and it's going to be great. And then they go there, and they're like, this is shit. And I want to be somewhere else and I'm going to be happy. And then, you know, what's going to happen when I get there. I'm going to be, we're going to win championships and it's going to be great. And everybody's going to acknowledge me. And then they go there and so on and so forth, so on and so forth. And now we have the, the musical chairs going on again. And he's, you know, Durant's discontent and Irving is as well. And who knows what's going on with Ben Simmons. And, and they're all trolling for trades. Kevin Durant said, I, I want out. Officially asked for a trade. Strangely enough, his two, Teams that he wants to go are the two top seeds in either conference last year, Phoenix and Miami, which again, just <laughs> I feel very comfortable saying if he goes there and wins championships, <laughs> we're going to have the exact same things happen that happened when he went to Golden State. Just going to be continual push by a lot of people going, eh, who cares? You know, took the easy road again. Okay, great. That's how just how a lot of fans think when it comes to Kevin Durant. And it seems very easy to reason that no matter what happens, doesn't matter where he goes, doesn't matter how he wins or anything. People are going to be mad and he is not going to be very happy with the outcome. That's just the way that this is set up. It's how it's been for a very long time. So now I start thinking about it for me individually, you know, because this is why I like to talk about it. It's not because I'm sitting here going, I think Kevin Durant's a great guy or a terrible guy. I don't know. Nobody knows. We honestly have no idea. We don't know this person. <laughs> um, but why I talk about it and follow it is because I start thinking in terms of, all right, what, what's going on here and how, what concepts are there that are applicable to my own life? So how I process a lot of this stuff that goes on. So for here, I'm going, all right, yeah, like, how do I personally make decisions that I'm comfortable with? That's what this whole situation is screaming to me. And then... On top of that, if I make a decision that I find out, eh, maybe I'm not as comfortable as I thought, how do I change that for the better? You know, just a process that is ongoing always in life over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. So I mentioned this maybe, I don't know, two weeks or so ago on a show. And I want to revisit it. The gap between what you have and what you want. Because the more that I think about it, the more it just seems like this has turned into one of the things that is really gnawing at 
a large portion of society. And maybe that's always existed there, and I'm just more conscious of it because I'm getting older and I think in these terms. Maybe it's more applicable to present-day society than it's ever been. I don't really know, honestly. But I do know that this is one of the things that jumps off the page when it comes to people's search for meaning and happiness within life. And the way that a lot of us, and I'll admit, you know, I've fallen into this in the past, probably will in certain ways in the future, the way that we always think, okay, I'm dissatisfied and unhappy with what I have currently, but when I get what I want, that will change. Which is true in brief ways. You know, it's more, I think of it more in terms of a spark. Like, you get what you want, and that's a spark, and hopefully it's used to inspire yourself to now look at what you have and understand, okay, I can't continually be chasing something because that will never amount to anything. It's just this running on a hamster wheel. And so there's got to be a continual uh, motivation within myself to celebrate and savor the things that I have. Even if I'm searching for stuff that I want, that's great. You can you can balance those two things in unison, I think, at its very best. It's hard, but I think that people who are at their best uh, emotional equilibrium they find a really good balance between those two things just always being able to acknowledge and say you know what what i have is really cool and here are the reasons why and i'm going to always go out of my way to be aware and conscious of that and then here are the things that i'm going after and let's find a blend of those two things right and i've mentioned this before i'll mention it again just the game of golf has been really revelatory to me in that particular sense because it probably more than anything taught me how important the first part of the equation is. Just what you have is really important, no matter what it is. You know, you're kind of the captain of your own vessel in that sense. Uh, if you want to, you can go out of your way to find things every single day that you want to be a part of, that you're proud that you're a part of, that just that are part of your life. And you go, this might seem mundane or small, but this is pretty sweet, right? And the game of golf have, has that tenfold. You know, there's a million different things that draw you to it. Um, you know, you're out in nature, camaraderie, competition, friendship, all that kind of stuff. There's a million things I could go on and on. That could be a whole show. But what the trap is within the game and what turns into the hamster wheel is my score within the game of golf. The thing that, especially early on, is I really leaned into the competitive side and I was just like, this is, this is addictive and I want to get better and I can see myself getting better. And that's like, uh, it's almost like a drug. It's just something that I fiend for over and over. And it was tied into just score, simple score, you know, simple results over and over and over and over. And I'd always just be like, when I get that, it's going to be just the moment. It's going to be the breakthrough. And it's just going to be, maybe I didn't verbalize it this way in my mind, but it was, that's what I'm truly going to ascend to like this other plane of happiness and contentment within this sport that I already like, but is kind of a hell of a grind sometimes, right? And over the course of years, and especially once I got better and got to these score points that I thought were like, oh, this is going to knock down this brick wall. And then suddenly it's just going to be great and happy. I'm going to go out and shoot scores all the time. I realize like, oh, no, that's not that's not ever how this works. And if my motivation is simply. I need that over there. That's what I want. It's the score. It's the score. I need to shoot 80. I need to shoot 76. I need to shoot 74, 72, 70, 68, 60. I need, like that just, it doesn't create something inside me that I like. It's a piece, 
but it can't be the sole motivator. The sole motivator for me, as I've learned over the course of years, has been, oh, I got to be really content with what I have within this game, which is I'm good and I can chase scores. Absolutely. But every single day that I'm out there, I got to have a lot of other things that are bringing me to the table that are, you know, making me smile, make me feel content when I'm out there. Can't just be every single day I'm looking for my career low. I'd be happy once every however many years, right? Part of the, I was doing this, uh, this meditation that was tied into kind of the gap between what you have and what you want. That's something that I've been kind of exploring over the last handful of months. And one of these, uh, one of these meditation teachings was just like, you know what a really good trigger is for your brain is to sit down and think about just whatever you're doing or not even sit down and think you can do it actively while you're doing stuff, but just think about what if this is the last time that I ever do this particular activity. And it doesn't have to be anything extravagant. You know, it's not like this is the last time I'm ever going to Hawaii. It, it could be as simple as this is the last time I'm driving into work. Like what, let's look around and just kind of feel what I have and what's going on, you know? And it's been a great mental trigger for me in a variety of ways of just that constant reminder that sometimes I need and, and I always want, which is, ah, huh, what I have in life is really impressive and fulfilling even if I'm not always aware of it. So let's just constantly be on the lookout for that. Even as I chase after things that I want in life, right? That's what a lot of this Kevin Durant story screams to me as I reflect back on myself. I'm just like, "Hmm." I don't ever want to be the person who is just there and mad and angry and not content making decisions in their own individual life. And for him, you know, I'll widely admit it's going to be harder because he's a public figure. And going back to how that works, when a lot of people are involved in that equation, there are always going to be people that are angry, no matter what occurs. It's just the way that we exist, especially now more than ever with everything that's at our fingertips and the way that we can get online and be a part of literally anything that's going on at any given time. So talking about golf, and I actually want to kind of jump into that sport for a little bit before we end. Because alongside Kevin Durant and the NBA, the other sport right now that really has has turned into just this almost echo chamber of these people are not content and satisfied with what they are doing is the world of golf. And especially this blast between the PJ Tour and Liv and just the way that it's covered and everybody's mad about this or mad about that. And there's the two warring sides and it's just it's almost kind of turned into somewhat of a political discussion, which what do we know about political discussions? Everybody's angry at all times, no matter what it is. And you just, no matter what decision you make, people are going to be mad about it. So this one, it's, it's a firestorm as well, you know? Live golf and the people who have transferred there, a lot of it mirrors the Kevin Durant stuff. Just these people are not able to be content within this decision, you know? Everybody's mad that, on a moral level, they're going and taking Saudi Arabia's blood money. And, oh, this is, and, you know, we, we know all the talking points here. And if I were in these people's shoes, I'd look at it and I'd go, if I were making that decision, you know, it would obviously be financially motivated. And you would have to know going in that there are going to be people who are mad about it. And, you know, you're going to have to come to terms morally within yourself of who you want to accept money from, who you don't. And that's true for literally everybody on earth, you know, what corporations you decide to accept money from within the United States. That's, you know, there's a lot of people who are morally against taking money from corporation X, Y, or Z. 
same as taking money from a country like Saudi Arabia that has a really intense history and present with human rights issues, right? So if you're going to get to the point where you're like, yeah, I'm going to take a lot of money from this organization and, and golf there, you got to be, you got to be content within that decision, right? I, I just don't understand how people could get to this point where they make the decision and everybody's mad. And then you see people like Matthew Wolf or Pat Perez, two players who are not really very good at golf in present day, but who went and took uh, live golf contracts that are going to make tons more money there playing shit golf than they did with the PGA Tour. And I'll see some of these press conference snippets with these people and I'm going, what, what are you talking about? This is just say why you made the decision and leave it at that and move on. You know, if you're making this decision for yourself, you got to be content with that, knowing that there's going to be blowback, but you're going to get money. That's the way that a transaction works. So I mentioned Matthew Wolf. And I'm, this is probably, I don't know, a week or two ago, but he's up at a press conference and, you know, he's getting peppered with questions about the move. And none of these guys know how to answer anything. They're just, I don't know what's going on with them. But they're asking about this move and, you know, he's talking about how he's been struggling on the PGA Tour and it's really tough. You know, he's got to play three and four weeks and he's in a rut and, you know, and he's talking about how I know this is my job, but on my off weeks now because I'm struggling, I got to go and practice with my swing coach and he lives in California and it's, and it's just tough. And, you know, and then he's talking about, this is a direct quote, you know, because he's talking about all those things and then he's going, you know, so it's like. Do I want to spend time with my girlfriend and my dog at home and enjoy my time off and sleep in my own bed? Or do I want to go travel across the country and go work with my swing coach and then not have time for that? What he's talking about, right? Which this is a general rule of thumb for rich people and rich people exploring their plight to people who are not rich. <laughs> it's probably never a good idea when you're talking about how you're pretty bad at your job and you make millions of dollars doing it and your job is a game. And because you're bad at your job, you have to work harder at it and it's preventing you from spending time with your dog. That probably doesn't resonate with the majority of people. Probably is falling on deaf ears. That's just a general rule of thumb for getting up in front of a microphone and, and explaining your plight to the universe. Um, so Matthew Wolf's there and he's saying stuff like that. And I'm hearing it and going, this is so bizarre. And, and it mirrors this gap between what you have, this gap between what you want. And I look at a situation, I'm going, okay, well, what you have before you went to live was you made millions of dollars. You've become quite bad at golf. You still have some exemptions because you've played good golf in the past. So you're still going to be making money in that way. You play a game. You're 23 years old. You have time to improve. You want more time to spend with your girlfriend and dog. And that's your current state of being. Okay, cool. And then this idea that these guys are not able to verbalize is that, I don't know, once I go and take live golf money, this is going to transition that gap. Now I'm going to be in the point that I want to be that's really going to unfold this life that I desire, which hearing that is, I don't want to have to work on my craft and I want to spend time with my girlfriend and my dog, which is cool. You know, that I'm great. Now the dog part's not cool, but I don't like dogs, but yeah, everybody wants to spend time with their girlfriend. Great. And nobody really wants to work at their craft. <laughs> well, that's not true. A lot of people, if given the option, they could just make a max amount of money for being bad at their job would just be like, oh, well, why would I work on my craft? That's that's true of a lot of people. You know, if I were in that same situation, who knows how I'd react? I might just be the exact same. 
I go, I'm going to hang out and have sex with my girlfriend and just not work on golf. That, that sounds great. And I get how many millions of dollars? Okay, cool. The problem is, I don't think that transitioning that gap leads to what you think it leads to. Because the failings of most people in life, and again, I'll include myself within this, this happens to me, is misunderstanding where your happiness is derived from. I don't think it comes from jumping that gap. It comes from accentuating the very first part of the equation. What do you have? How do you go about uh, being really content with that? You know, Papra is another person. He's been doing the same thing and, and just kind of explaining the, the plight of this is why I had to go to live. And, and I'm going, you don't really need to explain anything other than just this is money and I took money and it's a lot of it. And some people are going to be mad about this and I understand that. And this is going to set me and my family up for all of time. And I'm content with that decision. Instead, you know, he's, he's doing kind of the same. They're all doing the same thing. They're all doing the same sob story of this is how the PGA tour, they, they weren't, they could have done better for me. And this is what live is going to represent. And I go, well, okay. But Pat Perez who played on the PGA tour for 20 years and had one top 10 in a major and had one top 10 in a WGC and had three total wins period during that 20 year stretch. None of them at good events and made $28 million in earnings being not very good at golf for a long time. And especially not within the last few years. The idea that you're going to transition that gap to now I can be bad at golf and make a lot more money and it doesn't, I don't, I really don't even have to compete in the sense that I did on the PGA Tour, which was one of the big plights of Pat Perez going, I had to play in these events where I'm trying to qualify for the FedEx Cup and one of them made me miss my son's birth because I had to go and grind and try and get in the top 130. You know, everybody's hearing it and going, yes, that's, you don't have to miss that. You could have not, but usually if you're not very good at your job, you have to work harder to A, be better at your job and B, make more money. That's just how jobs work. <laughs> That's not breaking news. And so now that is going to be live golf and I'm going to have more time and the competitive aspect, I don't have to worry about as much, you know, because I'm guaranteed money. It's going to be a lot. And so now I'm going to be happier because of that. Maybe that's true. You know, I hope for all these people's sake, whether it's Duran or these two golfers or literally anybody who's involved, anybody who's listening, like I would be very happy if people make decisions that make them more happy. That's what I search after on an individual level every single day. You know, it's, it's not a crime to want something different in your life. That's part of being alive, right? There's not a day that goes by for me where I'm like, okay, here's some things that I need to tweak. Here's some things that I need to go after long-term, short-term, uh, just that continual process of evolution of trying to be a better, happier, more content version of yourself. But within that, the framework of that uh, decision-making process is just, there's always going to be repercussions for any decision. There are repercussions for me on an individual level. Sometimes I'm the only person who will be privy to those. And for people that are in the public eye, that's going to be amplified by a million because now there are people who are a part of your decisions just as spectators. And those people, as as I said at the start of the show, you know, it's the present day dissatisfaction of humanity in general. Just there are a lot of people who are a part of this equation. There are going to be some people who are dissatisfied with your decision. And in turn, if you are not comfortable enough with that, that is going to affect you. And you're going to say, I don't care. But in actuality, you're going to sit there and you're going to just 
tear your hair out over it. You're going to argue with people in the comment section of every social media platform. You're going to get in front of press conference microphones and bitch and moan about all these things that everyone else goes, oh, that sounds pretty cool. You make $28 million to hang out with your dog and girlfriend on your off weeks. That sounds great. Sign me up, right? All this stuff kind of goes into a word that I'm always talking about now. A word that like, I just, it's weird to me that it, maybe it's not taught as a word of more importance growing up. Acceptance, 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 acceptance. I'm always thinking about it. I'm always talking about it. I'm continually astounded that it's not just a more basic teaching principle, as especially as people transition into adulthood of like, okay, we're talking about the gap uh, between things that you have and things that you want. Part of that uh, just never ending process is you need to strive to be better. And you also need to accept that some things exist that are unchangeable and you need to come to terms with those things. You know, it's, it's kind of the idea that you need to find contentment with the way that things are while also striving in the areas that you can to go out and change and be better and continually search for something more than you currently have. Now, within that is just the thing that really applies to all of these stories that I've talked about, the thing that I can't get over, and maybe it's easy for me to say because I'm not a public figure and I don't have a million people coming down on my case for everything that I say, but the way that people react to others' decisions has never been just more uh, polarized probably is a good way of putting it. And especially within that polarizing sphere, just met with more vitriol no matter what occurs. Right. And so if you're a part of that, whether on the commentator side that just I'm here and I want to be mad about people's decisions and that's what I do every night on Twitter, or if you're the person who is making the decision that everybody knows about and now people are mad, there's got to be some version of acceptance within that particular transaction. And it's either I got to accept that this is the way things are and this is the way they're going to be moving forward, or I need to extract myself from this. I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want to be a part of this. And I need to make the necessary arrangements to get the hell out. That's just, that's the way that things work in my mind in present day, which is kind of grim, but at the same time, you accept the things you need to accept and you change the things that you need to change. That's how I personally try and live life in 2022 and presumably will moving forward until I die. So let's end the show with... Uh, my favorite poet of all time, Liesl Mueller. She is the most talented utilizer of language that I've ever read. Just her ability to piece together words in a way that really make my jaw drop and think it's unparalleled ever. And I, anything I talk about and think about, especially in uh, maybe more high level and philosophical terms, just her words always somehow pop into my mind. And as I was putting together the notes that I wanted to talk about for today's show, I had a little segment from her in mind, and then I started reading segments from her, and I ended up choosing a completely different segment. That's when you know you're a baller. So let's end with some words from her, um, and then you can go about your Friday and enjoy your weekend. The fiction of metaphor saved us from madness, perhaps from crime, certainly from the despair of admitting the broken connection, that the world resists meaning not to tease us, but because there is no meaning except the one we invent. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Remember to go and sign up for my newsletter. You can go to chrisrawl.com. 
hit the subscribe button, put your email address in, and bam, you'll be a very close friend of mine who I will send an email to every Wednesday morning. Go about your weekend in peace, um, and I'll be back on Tuesday to talk probably about Liza Mueller and about some more stuff in sports. Thanks. Thanks.